0: We are in the middle of the discussion that we were starting with, uh, that we started two weeks ago, about Isur Hana, and we're in the middle of the sugi right now, where we had the statement of Rabbi Avahu, who said every time the Torah says do not eat something, it implies an Isur Hana, as opposed to Chizkiah, who said no, that only if it says it in a weird way does it imply Isur Hana, and the bottom the bottom line question is what's the default. Now, we could do this for another five weeks. We're not going to. So we're going to get as far as we get today till um, 4.20. And at 4.20, I'm going to suggest some um, uh, conceptual approaches to understanding what's going on in this machloket. So we're going to use the next 45 minutes or so to work on analytic skills and reading skills, etc., and, uh, and then we'll, we'll take it to the conceptual level. Okay, if you recall, the entire thing started with Chameitz, and then it led to uh, the broader statement. And then we had the uh, example given by Rabbi Avahu of a place where the Torah explicitly says you may get hana, and that's Nevelah, and we had a long detour about Nevelah. And then we had the challenges of Rabbi Yitzchak Napacha. The first challenge he brought was Gid Hanasheh, and we dealt with that last week, because Gid Hanasheh is a prohibition. You may not eat it, and yet it's pretty clear you may get benefit from it. So how does that work? And we worked it out. The next thing we looked at was Dam. Dam is something you're not allowed to eat, blood of an animal, not allowed to eat, and yet you're allowed to get Hanah from it. And we said that the reason for that is because the Torah compares Dam to Mayim. When the Torah says, "Don't eat dam, spill it out like water," so it's equating it to water, and just like water, you're allowed to get hanaf from dam, you're allowed to get hanaf from. Okay, so let's go to our third challenge. Our third challenge is aver min, min hachai. What is aver min hachai? What does that mean?
1: Okay. So a limb from an, a, a live animal. It means you like your meat really, really rare. Uh,
0: okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to take it one step beyond. The Torah prohibits carnivorism at the beginning. The Torah permits it after the flood. And when God says to Noah, you may eat animals... He then prohibits him ach basar Right? You're not allowed to eat oh, um, Now, that means that you cannot eat a limb off an animal that was taken from it while it was alive. Even if the animal subsequently died, and it's probably very likely to do so, depending on the limb, doesn't matter. The proper procedure, obviously, is to kill the whole animal, and afterwards take it apart and take the pieces, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and with all of the provisos involved. Now, aver Minachai is prohibited to Noah. It's prohibited afterwards within the general rubric of the prohibition of Dam, which, by the way, may already be, uh, be an opening for us because we just dealt with Dam. So, Vahare aver Minachai, you will see it in the blue there, Vahare aver Minachai. Now, the word Vahare is um, behold, but what it's being used for is the next challenge. What about this? That's the way you might translate it. Dikhtiv, now, of course, how are we setting up every one of our challenges? We're setting up our challenges by quoting a pasuk in the Torah that uses the verb achal. Because remember, what's Avahu's contention? Anytime the Torah says, Lo really? it implies hana. Mm-hmm. so therefore it won't help to quote a pasuk where it says something else about eating. Uh, and 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 so therefore we can only we have to start with the proof that the text uses lotochal, do not eat in some form or another. And yet we then have to prove somewhere that you're allowed to get Hana. Now by the way, what would happen if we found a Pasuk that said you may not eat it and the same Pasuk said, but you may sell it. Would that be a challenge?
1: Yeah.
0: No. Because that's exactly like novella In other words, that fits a Rav Because think about this. Why would you have to tell me I could sell it unless the default was that I can't? That's his proof from novella The very fact that the Torah says you may sell a novella proves that the default is that you can't sell something you're not allowed to eat. And novella has to be singled out as an exception. So I don't want to find a pasuk that says you may sell it. I want to find a Mishnah or a brighter. I want to find that the halakha is that I can sell it, but I want to find that the um, that the um, uh, that the pasuk just says lo tochal. So here we go with Abraham Do not eat the lifeblood, which is dumb, with the meat. And the idea is, this is an allusion to Abraham and Achay. Vitanya, and now we have a braita. Uh, rabbi Natan Omer, right? Rabbi Natan, a famous Babylonian rabbi. Minayan yoshit Adam kos yayin lenazir, the Noach. Now this is going to take us into a new area of halacha, which new not new for halacha, but new for us perhaps, and new certainly in this discussion that needs a little bit of an introduction. The Torah prohibits me from doing a whole range of things. The Torah commands me to do a whole lot of things. The Torah prohibits each one of you from doing a whole range of things and commands you. And by the way, those commands are not consistent. About half the group I'm looking at is not allowed to marry Grusha. On the other hand, the other half of us are. In other words, Kohanim are bound by different laws. So we don't all have the same system. However, there is a, an interconnectedness to Am Yisrael that obligates us to support each other not only financially and for our general welfare, emotionally, etc., but also in our observance. And that means that I'm starting it with, I'm not allowed to enable you to do the wrong thing. So as an example, let's say that I have a friend who's Jewish and not observant. and um, he is uh, on the other side of the fence, and he was, he was over in my yard, and he left his package from McDonald's, and he forgot it, and now he's gone to the other yard, and it'll take him 20 minutes to walk around, but he reaches over, and he says, listen, can you just hand me my bag? That may be a problem. Why is it a problem? Because what am I doing when I'm handing him the bag? I'm enabling his eating not kosher food, right? So, the, and that prohibition is called the It gets bigger and even more beautiful, uh, the interconnectedness to the point where, and I'll just tell you this, run because this run is too gorgeous to ignore. Um, uh, Friday night, uh, I made Kiddush. Okay, I made Kiddush. Let's say I really like Kiddush. Can I make Kiddush again just for heck of it? Can I take a cup of wine and shabbat, just because I like the tune. You're, you're getting into Brakalavatala there. Absolutely. Thank you, Show. So of Attala, I'm not allowed to do it and maybe a prohibition doraita. Let's say, on the other hand, <clears throat> I had a guest for Friday night dinner, which is like something that we used to do back in the, you know, a year ago. Uh, I had a guest for Friday night dinner, and the guest never showed. So finally, after half an hour, we sat down and an hour. Everybody's got their own time limit. We sat down and ate. And 10 minutes after sitting down to eat, the guest walked in. Can I make it a again? Absolutely. I can make Kiddush again for the guest. Why? Because of the rule of Arvut, of interconnectedness. You know that famous Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazah, which is one of the most popular Jewish uh, Federation poster items. Uh, but the full term is Kol Yisrael Arevim Le Mitzvot. We're responsible for each other's mitzvah observance. We're responsible for each other's welfare too. And the Ran says something gorgeous. He says that why am I allowed to make kiddush again? Because since I made kiddush, but there's a Jew in the world who didn't yet make kiddush, it's like my kiddush isn't complete. not that beautiful? My kiddush is not complete. So when this guy walks into my house, I still have, I haven't finished kiddush. So I got to say it again for him. Beautiful. But on a more basic level, the prohibition of me enabling somebody else to violate the law is a prohibition that we learned from the pasuk in which literally means don't put a stumbling block before a blind person. And Chazal very quickly jumped on that phrase and said, we want to read it metaphorically. So, for instance, advising somebody uh, poorly, deliberately giving them bad advice about selling their house or about buying property, whatever it is, is a violation of lifnei iver, even if you don't have self-interest in it. If you have self-interest, there's a whole lot of other issues, right? And in the same way, enabling someone else to violate the law is a violation of Lifene Iver. Okay, that's my introduction. Now, So let's say that there is a Nazir who's not allowed to drink wine. And he's standing, the Gemara ends up deciding, he's standing on the other side of a river. And I'm standing on my side of the river and I've got a bottle of wine. And he said, hey, toss me that bottle of wine. So i'm not allowed to do it why not because i'm enabling him okay and the other one is this is a very select prohibition it is one of the only maybe two ritual prohibitions or three ritual prohibitions that you could think of that applies to non-jews it's one of the sheva mitzvah You know, sexual immorality and murder and stealing and courts, those are all within the general framework of a proper society. Cursing God's name and Avram and it depends where we want to put Abu Dazarad, are things that the non-Jew is not allowed to do. So how do I know? And the point of this statement is, I'm not an Azir. That's the whole point of this. I'm not an Azir. So why can't I pass a bottle to another guy? It's not a prohibition for me to drink wine. The answer is, we're not looking at you. We're looking at him. You're enabling him to do something that for him is wrong. There's no objective wrong. Wine is wrong for him because he took the nadir. In the same way, aver minachai is something that's prohibited to the non-Jew. And here's the Kiddush. Lifnei Iver applies to a non-Jew. I can't even enable a non-Jew to do something wrong. I'm not allowed to be an enabler of a crime. Big thing. But the point of this whole statement is, I am allowed to feed Eber Minachai to my dogs. In other words, why am I not allowed to give Eber Minachai to the non-Jew? Because the Torah prohibits him eating it. And I'm not allowed to enable that wrong behavior. But we can infer from there that I am allowed to give it, let's say, to my own animals and save on some um, dog food that day
1: right? But it may even go beyond that because it's the nature of animals to kill depending on the animal, to kill something and then eat it. To rip it apart and eat it, you mean?
0: Right. Okay, so here but the klavim, here the assumption is they're my pets, right? And I'm feeding them uh, with this eivir and I'm getting benefit from it. So how am I allowed to get benefit? After all, it says lo tochal. So the answer is shani eivir the eat kashladam now notice, by the way, we're going to keep coming back to the word shani. We had it before. Shani dam. Here it is. Shani evanachai. Evanachai is different, and we're going to get to the point, by the way, where every time we have an exception, we're going to say special case. What's the special case? Evanachai is compared to dam. Now we already dealt with dam, and we already saw the dam is compared to water. This little Chagadia here. Dichtiv rak chazak levilti achol hadam ki hadam hu Be careful not to eat blood because blood is the nefesh. Now, let's stop for one second and talk about what that word means because it'll open things up up a little bit for us and then we'll finish the the passage. What is a nefesh? Okay, so the word nefesh, right? So the word nefesh is one of those words, like many words, whose meaning evolves in Hebrew. It has a particular meaning early in Tanakh. It has a particular meaning later in Tanakh. It has a particular meaning early in rabbinic Hebrew and then later in rabbinic Hebrew. <clears throat> the word nefesh in the broad part of, let's say, chumash, means life. It's life. It also refers to a person. In Bereshit, when we count people, how many people came to Mitzrayim? Shivim nefesh, this week's parsha. Shivim nefesh, 70 souls. It doesn't mean souls in the sense of the spiritual part of you. It's people. That's what we call That's how we refer to it. Tanakh never directly addresses the spiritual component as a distinct piece of a person. So a person is a person. It's nefesh. Nefesh, by the way, in parts of Tanakh, actually means the throat. So, for instance, in Tehillim, we read the verse, Ba'umayim ad nefesh waters have come up to that's right sure exactly waters have come up to the throat right which means like i'm about to drown that's what that phrase means right i'll name sarai we read in your don't put me in the nefesh of my enemies it means in the throat don't allow them to devour me nefesh in rabbinic hebrew ends up meaning soul and then it's the, a the whole other development but here the nefesh in the way that Vayikra continues to describe it is the life force. Kihad dam hu ha-nefesh. Dam is the life force. And and uh, and lo tocha ha nefesh. Uh, adam hu ha The prohibition of eating dam is because dam is like a life force, like you're eating a life. All right. So here, the Torah says rak hadam dam hu ha And we understand that to be associated with Eberman Achai. So Eberman Achai is really almost a subset of Dam. And you understand why. Because what's eating Dom? Eating Dam, you killed an animal. You're allowed to eat the dead part of the animal. The Blood is the life force. You're not allowed to eat it. That belongs to the Mizbeach. And so, by the way, what do we do with the Dom of animals that don't go on the Mizbeach, like birds? What do we do? We cover it. Right? Kisui suya Adam birds, and chayot, we have mitzvah kisui adam. Okay. <laughs> that's dam uh, behemot. Correct. Correct. Very good. So that's dam behemot, dam chayot, we have to cover. By the way, you cover just some of it. You don't have to cover all of it. And it, the idea is it doesn't belong to us. belongs to God. Abram and Achai seems to be like a subset of it. Okay. Now, here's where things get kind of um, um, 180-ish. It's not the word I want to use. It's really a ping-pong issue. Um, remember that this entire discussion starts with uh, Rabbi Avahu versus Chizkiah. Rabbi Avahu said every time the Torah prohibits eating, it implies an Easter HaNoah. Chizkiah said, no, it doesn't. And so now, every time that we're going to challenge Rabbi Avahu, Chizkiyah is smiling. And every time Rabbi Avahu is defended, Chizkiah is now on the defensive. Because every defense we can come up with for a now becomes an attack of Chiskeya. That's the way positions work. So now the question goes, Why did the Torah compare Avram in If, after all, according to you, you don't need that, you already know you can get benefit, because what's Chiskeya's position? When the Torah says don't eat something, that's all it means. Don't eat. And you're allowed to get benefit. So why would the Torah have to compare to tell you you can get benefit? You can already get benefit. There's Amar Lacha. Now Amar Lacha or Amar Lach is a valuable phrase to know. It shows up a lot in this literature. In in Stamaidic literature. Amar Lach means he would have said to you Meaning Chizkia is long gone. We are sitting in a Beit Midrash 800 miles away, 300 years later. We're discussing discussing what Chizkia and Rabbi Avahu discussed, what they disputed, and we're raising a challenge against Rabbi Avahu and we're defending him. And now we're saying, what will Chizkia do with that attack? Here's how he could have answered it. We don't know what he would have said. What he actually said is he could have said, Amarlach. Now, this is an interesting um, um, conundrum you have with an analogy. Let's talk about it a little bit. What is an analogy? Because so much of of Levittariah, the give and taken Gemara, is based on basically structural logic. So what is an analogy? You're talking about a
1: Hekesh? What are you
0: talking about? Well, what is an analogy? Just what's an analogy in the in the world? What's an analogy? If
1: A is, if A is like this is, B is like C, then A is like C.
0: So an yeah. analogy is that A is like C, right? And then what can I do with that analogy? I can expand it to apply to other things. Well, let's start um, by if I know that A is like C. So for instance, I'm traveling to Florida. I'm not, but I'm traveling to Florida. Okay, and I'm going to be spending Shabbos in the community, in the Hamilton community of Hollywood, Florida. It's a Halega community, I know, I've been there. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to go to Hollywood, Florida for Shabbos. But I've not said I've never been there. So I ask, and I'm sure he's been there because he's been everywhere. And I say to him, what's it like? And he says, it's like the community of Young own Century City. Now, I know Century City. I've grown up here, I've been in my whole adult life just about. So I know this community. So I make an analogy. I say, aha, H equals C. Hollywood equals Century City. So, yeah, equals Yik. And I make the analogy, and then I know what to expect. So I know to expect a couple of and I know to expect a Hushkab Minion that goes faster than the speed of lightning, and I know to expect a (laughs) Finnish club, and I know to expect, uh, you know, whatever I expect, right? Okay. And multiple shiurim and a beautiful new building and all of that. Great. Now, A Hekesh, there's two kinds of Hekesh. There's two kinds of analogies in the world. There is an organic analogy and there's a forced analogy. I want you to think about it. There's an organic analogy and a forced analogy. And I will give you by way of example. Um, The Wassermans have four amazing kids. Four amazing kids. You meet three of those kids you meet noam you meet ari you meet sippy and their spouses and their families and you are just blown away by them and you're told that you're going to have the opportunity to meet daniela and her family next what do you expect same as
1: the other three you
0: expect to be blown away and you will be you expect to be blown away right i hope i'm embarrassing you guys a little bit okay mm-hmm.
1: Extra. no no exceptions to the rule huh?
0: what there are exceptions but that's the whole point, it's an exception, thank you. It's an exception. We expect an analogy, we expect things to be somewhat similar. And so therefore, <coughs> we, that's an organic analogy, right? Birds of a feather, apple in a tree kind of thing. Then there's a forced analogy. A forced analogy is when I take two things that inherently have nothing, no connection, and I either say they must have a connection or I say, guess what? Surprise, they do have a connection. So there is a Korean Presbyterian minister, I'm not making this up, who loves Talmud. And he and I have a great time together when we're talking Talmud. Now, if someone were to tell me that Reverend Young Tzu Yun and Et Shalom are going to have a great time together, you would say that's nuts. What would an Orthodox rabbi from LA who's a Talmud teacher and a Presbyterian minister from South Korea, why would they have a good time? So guess what? Surprise, you didn't know it, but they, they, they have a common interest, right? They have a common interest, okay. So sometimes a forced analogy is not, is not forced in the sense of, of that anybody's pushing it, but it's, it's not obvious to the outside. Sometimes there's a forced analogy, like happens in the Torah, when the Torah will push two things together and tell you, even though these two things have nothing to do with each other, we're making them connected. And I will give you an example. The Torah says you may not wear shotness, Correct? Woolsey, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. I think that's a British thing. Woolsey, Lindsay. And right next to it, in the very next pasut, the Torah says you got to wear tzitzit. And Chachamin learn a lesson from that. They say the Torah wrote... The prohibition of shotness right next to the mitzvah of tzitzit to create a forced analogy, because the two have nothing in common. Except to tell you that if you have tzitzit, where the garment is made of linen and the tzitzit are made of wool, you wear them. The tzitzit trumps. I can't say that for another after another two weeks, but trumps um, uh, shotness. And from there, I get a huge principle, which is mitzvah taseh do Remember, it's a suge at the beginning of Yevamot. So in other words, I have a forced analogy where the Torah pushes two things together, but the Torah doesn't necessarily tell me what to do with those two things. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled text. Dam and Avraminachai are next to each other, right here in this pasuk. Now, whenever you have an analogy, You have an index and a target. An index is the one you know about, like Young Israel of Century City. And the target is the one you're learning about, like Young Israel of Hollywood. In other words, you're starting from what you know, going there to the one you don't know, right? I'm going to go to Chicago. I want to eat at shallots. Anybody been to shallots? Okay, good. Yes. Yes. What's it like at shallots? What are you going to tell me? We don't like it. We don't like it. Don't like it. Okay. What's the (laughs) restaurant in LA? okay anybody anybody milts any milts fans milts okay good Uh, alan thank you i'm a big milts fan if someone to say okay i'm going to milts what's it like when give me a frame of reference from la
1: jeff's maybe
0: Jeff's. okay good i think jeff's plus right but jeff's plus a little bit because it's got really really cool and corny stuff all the weird signs in the bathrooms it's great right um they have a sign like why would anybody say, can somebody explain why there's an interstate ho- ho- highway in, ho- in hawaii you know they got these great little you know <laughs> make you think all right so the the purpose of an analogy is to take what you know and then say extend that to the part you don't know but here we have a forced analogy between Dom and avram in a high which is the index and which is the target so we thought Dom is the index and saying you're allowed to get on so it applies to Eber Minachai. You can get on and off. According to Chizkiah doesn't need that, so Chizkiah is going to turn around and say, Damu di'it Do the opposite. Say so Eber Minachai is the index and Dam is the... Because I don't have any reason to say one more than the other. Eber Minachai is the index and Dam is the target. And now I'm going to learn from Eber Minachai. Ma Eber Minachai asur, min Minachai asur. Oh, that I didn't know. Believe it or not, the prohibition in the Torah, as it's stated out, is blood of an animal that's been killed. Who says that if an animal is bleeding, I can't eat a dumb? I don't want to, that's gross, but who says I can't? So the answer is, that's why Avramenachai is compared to dumb to, to tell me, just like Avramenachai is Asur, dam minachai is Asur. Be'ezezez, zed dam ha'kaza. Dam ha'kaza is bloodletting. They would use to bloodlet not only people, but animals. There's many sugyot and shas about that. Right? And that's dam nefesh because they at least believe that when you did bloodletting, you actually some of the life force of your blood came out. I mean, the whole bloodletting thing was based on uh, misunderstanding of the circulatory and lack of understanding of the circulatory system. But we'll leave it at that. But the point is now the following: that <clears throat> that we started by saying, why is aver Minachai permitted? Why are we allowed to get Hanah? After all, the Torah says you're not allowed to eat it. The answer is that aver Minachai is compared to Dom, Just like Dom, you're allowed to get Hanah, Aver Minachai. Chizkia will now be stuck and say, well, I got no explanation for it because as far as I'm concerned, you should have been able to get Hanah anyways. What do I need the Hekesh for? The answer is I need the Hekesh the opposite way to tell me what do I know about aver Minachai? is Minachai is Minachai. That's what it is. Why is Dom compared to it? To tell me, dam min hachai is awesome. Not just when you shecht an animal and its blood is running out, you can't eat it. Also, when an animal has been operated on and it's perfectly alive and its blood is out there, you can't eat it. Right? Not something that would interest us much, but in any case. Next attack. And the next attack is Shorhan han niskal. Now, what is Shorhan han niskal? So shorhani skull is an animal that um, kills somebody. You know that uh, kills somebody. Right. So an animal that kills a human being, uh, whether the animal was Tom or muad, right? And we don't look at intent. We don't care about intent. Animals don't have intent. Meaning that's not the issue. Uh, the animal's is killed. The animal's is killed in baitin and it actually goes through a whole deed in baitin. If the animal was uh, mu'ad and it had already done damage several times, then the, the owner is theoretically liable for the death penalty. Although, in the end, he pays a ransom. That's co fair. Okay. Shore honey scow. Now, by the way, what happens when you stone, when you kill the shore by stoning? What's the status of the shore? The shore was. It was a nevela. It's now a nevela. So, what is, where does that leave you? You're you can't owner. do anything.
1: You,
0: you, uh, gotta you gotta burn it. it. It's an available. <laughs> we can get announc because it's an available, right? That's what we would think. Now, here's the problem. Hare the amar et the What does the Torah say about the Shorani skal? It's meat may not be eaten. Now notice Lo <laughs> achel plays the Khizkiya. It puts it in like like chametz Lo Yachel. Okay, so now watch this bright And the fact that the Torah said, you got to stone it, doesn't Bill tell us that that's a nevelah? You're not allowed to eat a Right? We are ready. Think about it. The minute the Torah says, execute this animal in any way that's not shechita, by definition, you can't eat it. So why say you can't eat it? It's teaching an interesting lesson. I'm the owner of this animal. This animal is worth $20,000. It's a prize bull. But it went crazy and killed somebody, or leaned the wrong direction and fell on somebody and killed him. So they're going to kill it. So the Beit Dean takes it to court, and they actually have a Dean, and they make a Gemar Dean, meaning if they pass sentence, it's going to be killed. And I sneak in before they can kill it and I shocked it.
1: What am I trying to do? <laughs> Wait, but Dick oh, Dick no, but didn't carry out the penalty yet. Right, exactly. They passed sentence. Not. And before they actually can do anything about it, I run in and I shocked them.
0: What am I trying to accomplish by shocked them? Get benefit. What kind of benefit? You can eat it. Everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Animal should be, uh, I just can't live anymore. I shocked it. But he's dying anyways. <coughs> so he said, how do I know that if I would run in after Gemar Deen and Shekhten that he's still Asur? The answer is Lo mm-hmm. All I know is that you're not allowed to eat him. <laughs> how do I know I can't get benefit? Talmud Lomar Uval Hashor Naki That's the phrasing in the Torah. Now, I'm going to take you off share for one second because I want to show you the psukim uh, because uh, it'll be very instructive to see them here. Um, um, uh, All right. Here we go. The chigakshore. Highlight it. Okay. Everybody can say it. The chigachshore at Ish at Ishava mate. So an ox gores a man or a woman, and the person dies. Sakoli hashor. The shore shall indeed be stoned. Below at Besaro—that's the phrase we're looking at. Uval Hashorn Naki. The owner is Naki. Now, what does Naki mean? Uh, innocent. or held innocent. innocent. That's right, and that's pshat. The the owner is innocent because this shore was a tom. You know, this shore had no history. It just one tom went nuts. You can't expect the owner to be uh, to watching it, and the owner is off the hook. That's pshat. Correct. On the other hand, this was a shore that for the last few days has been violent, whatever the, the definition of mu'at is. So, same scenario, but the owner didn't watch him. Simple shot, what happens? What does that mean? On both. Docks of stone
1: the ox is stone. Uh,
0: the owner is also. The, also the owner also killed. The owner, is killed too. Right. Now, in shot the Love, but if they place a ransom on him, meaning the owner actually gets to buy his way out. It's the only time that happens. Buy his way out of a theoretical death penalty. Whatever they estimate, again, in question to question what it's based on. Based on the value of the person who died, or the value of the person's life who's being redeemed, the 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 owner. Okay, but that's the phrase. Bala shor now, watch what the Gemara did with this. All I know is that if you went in and did this animal before they killed him, but after Gemardeen, you can't eat it and you can't even benefit. Right? You get that from Balash Shor naki. My mashma, where How do you get that from that? Like, how do you hear that from that? <clears throat> so Shimon Benzoma Omer, so Benzoma says it's like the phrasing that people like to use of Naki, not innocent, but rather cleaned out. This guy got totally cleaned out. In other words, the owner not only can't keep the ox to plow, can't even sell the ox for food, can't even sell the ox for. Dog meat. Right? You can't even make a rug out of the ox's uh, pelt. Okay? So now, let's take a look at how this all plays out. <coughs> it's only because the Torah said, "ba'la that I prohibited. Hana. Meaning, well, the way that the Midrash just learned it, Lo y'achel only told me I can't eat. And I needed Bala Shonaki to tell me I can't get benefit. Seems to shoot down Rabbi Avahu. And that's why this is challenge number three. So we go back Leolam. Now, what the word Leolam is a good word to know. All these are good, good words to know, but some of these are words that repeat. What does the word leolam mean? So it, it, it really depends. What?
1: A oh, forever or
0: Tanakh, it means forever, right? In Chazal, it can mean forever, it can mean to the world. But in Shakla Vitarya, meaning the Aramaic give and take of the Gemara, the Olam means really. It's like when you go back mm-hmm. and forth. Like, well, Le Olam, really, it's this, and that's going to come when we're when we're at a conclusion because we're not we're going to we're not going to revisit the Olam No, we're going to go back and say Rabbi Yavu is right, meaning support him. Lo yachel means both. You know why bal hashor naki is there? Not to tell you, you can't get benefit that you already got from lo yachel. You can't get benefit from the pelt. Why is the pelt different? I need it because I would have thought. Now these are two phrases we should go over. Vitzarich means it's needed. And this is a common word, whether it's explicit or not, in Gemara discussion. Because the notion is everything that the Torah is stating in a legal text and everything that's in a legal text of the Mishnah or Maimra Braita has to be has to have a need. You wouldn't say something that was obvious. And so therefore we challenge it by saying what's it needed for? And the answer is to justify it, it started. <clears throat> so why does the Torah have to tell me? I also can't get benefit from the skin. Why is the skin different? chameina. Now ends up meaning. I would have thought. What it literally means is it would have gone up in my mind to say. But of course that's an idiom. I would have thought to say. Lo et besarok The Torah says you can't eat the flesh. So what's prohibited? The flesh. So the flesh is prohibited, not the skin. therefore, the Torah tells us, you lost everything. You totally cleaned out, even the, even the pelt is off.
1: Okay. So now. But you can come up with something else besides the pelt. I mean, hypothetically, yeah. great, great, excellent. Sure. And you guys hear what Sherwin's saying. It's great. He's
0: saying, Oro is not the only thing, it's not meat. You could have stuck on the bones, the talons, the horns, right? Anything else. Mm-hmm. Correct. It may be, you're right, it may be that they come along with this. And it may be that they're actually mutar. It may be that this is as far as we go and everything else is, is even more disconnected. It's good point. Excellent point. All right? Typically when we think about Hana from an animal, from a, a behema, like uh, especially from the, from the flock, for the herd, sorry. <clears throat> what we think of is meat and pelt. That's meat the, and pelt, right? Meat and pelt, all right? You think about the the cost of leather, all right? From uh, cowhide. Okay. Um, okay. So now, Here we go. Now we're we're looking we're looking at the entire field, the entire field of Tanaim, and you have to remember that. These psukim, Bala HaShor Naki, the ones we looked at in the Torah, are popular psukim to deal with. There are other tanaim who learn Baal HaShor Naki for something else. They use it for something else, which is what? What's Chatsi Kofar? So Kofar remembers the ransom that if I'm a negligent owner and my animal killed somebody, I have to pay. As if I were going to die, right? I pay my way out. Ravikim is of the opinion that if my animal was a tom, I have to pay half Kofar. have to half Kofar, just like with regular damages, I pay half damages for a tom. Right? And to me Vladot is another thing, which is, let's say that the ox gored a woman who was pregnant. And I would have to pay for it to be vladot. So bala shor is used for other things besides you lost the pelt. It's for other liabilities. Hanat oromanalahu. and we're going to end the textual part of this with this delightful little piece. How do I know I'm not allowed to get benefit from the skin? Because remember, the pasuk says, I can't eat the meat. Which means, okay, I can't eat the meat, I can't get benefit from the meat, that's fine. And now you're telling me, but I wouldn't know I couldn't get benefit from the skin. That's why I need a bala Okay, now turn the tables. If I needed bala shornaiki to tell me I, can get, I can't get benefit from the skin, then what are those people who already used up bala for something else? How are they going to get benefit from the skin issue? How are they going to get the isur? The answer is Nafkalumi et bisaro. And here we come into the most, one of the most troubling words in the Hebrew language. It is a word that I defy you to translate. It is the word et. Now, the word et, to be fair, has two different meanings. Sometimes it means with, faihi Adonai et kaniti ish et Adonai. Right, so sometimes et means with and in its uh, pronominal suffix form, itcha, uh, iti, itanu, et cetera. But the word "et," which is used before the definite article in any accusative case in Hebrew, how do you translate it? "Kaniti <laughs> et What? the <laughs>
1: La is already ha right? Maybe it uh, refers to specifically.
0: That's ha already. ha already. That's what the Hayydiyah does. And that's why Ben-Gurion actually tried to get rid of the et. He wanted to be able to say, Kaniti Hasefer. All right. Yisadti Hamadina. But yeah, it didn't work. Okay. Not everything he did worked. But uh, that's the et. All right. So I'm going to show you that the et has an interesting history. This is a very famous piece. Uh, and it shows up famously above the comma. Uh, but uh, here we go. Nafkalumi et b'saro. Remember, it says, Loyachel et b'saro. So what's et b'saro? Et Hatafel l'b'saro. Meaning, if it had just said, then you can't eat the flesh. The word et is hinting to something that's right next to the flesh. What's right next to the flesh? The pelt. Right? Okay, good. Now, by the way, this is something that should not be unusual to you. Um, Everybody I'm looking at here in one form or another is probably familiar with the fact that when women go to the mikveh, they have to clean out their hair to make sure there's nothing stuck in there, right? Chatzitz in the hair, correct? Okay. How do we know that you can't have a chatzitz in your hair when you go to the mikvah? I mean, for most of us, it's not a problem because we just can't. I don't know about you. I can't get anything stuck in there anymore anyways. But uh, how do we know you can't have a chatzitz in your hair? How come I know that if you have some gum stuck in your hair, you got to get it out before going to the mikvah? Because the Torah says et besaro, Et the et is that which is connected to your basar, which is your hair. And just like your basar can't have a call basaro, so your hair. All right, and that's all right though. Okay, so you see that that's not the only place, it's not the only place they do it. Okay, the edach et lodarish, and this is by the way, how these things often tail out, is and the other guy says, I'm not. I'm not a fan of et i'm not a fan of this et Russia. so one of them says et teaches me the flat the pelt because it's next to the meat and the other guy will say no i get it from bala and aki and the et doesn't bother me because i'm just not a big et fan now to be an et fan which by the way in new york means a lot because it means you're a nets fan a jets fan and a mets fan but to be an et fan uh, is actually subject to the following famous bright kinitanya Shimon. And by the way, this led to the the creation of two very famous uh, one commentary on the tour, which is written in two parts. Shimon ha Amsoni, the Amrilan ha Amsoni, and these are by the way both of them one of the characters we don't know of besides this famous story. Hayad Doresh, Kol Etim M'shavat Whoever this rabbi was from this Amsoni, used to darshan every et in the Torah. Bereshit bar Elohim, et ha ha-shamayim, et ha-shamayim is there to expand to all the host of heavens. The etta ha-aretz, all the host of the earth, right? Uh, uh, et, shame, et, cham, vet, yafet. What's the famous thing? Twin, twin daughters, twin sisters, right? Right, so et, every et, he darshaned meaning he saw in the word et an allusion to something else. He got to the Pasuk in Dvarim that says, you must fear Hashem, and it starts oddly enough with the word et. Piresh, he stopped, he was silent. Because what's he supposed to say? Fear God and Zeus? Fear God and Baal or what's he supposed to say? Right? So he didn't say anything. Amrulo tell me that. Rebbe, call etim shivdarashta, So the students saw in his silence a um, a a uh, denigration, not a denigration, it's not the word I want, a a um, dissolution really, of all of the drashot he gave. It's like you have a theory, and you keep the theory going for years, and then finally something comes along and shoots down the theory. The whole theory falls apart. So they say, call etim Shabbat Torah, What's going to happen to all the etim that you darshan? We we're going to have to go back now and read those psukim differently. Amar lahem, he said, kashem shikibalti just like I got reward for the drusha, I got reward for the silence. In other words, I was—I I have a great reward in shamayim for expanding halacha and explaining it based on the word et. And here I get great reward from heaven for being silent when I don't say anything. Right Now, by the way, you could take the statement apart and say, yeah, but bottom line, what do you do with all the other ets? Is et legit or not? And it all depends on what his silence is. Is his silence, well, I actually have something to say, but I don't want to say it in front of the students. I actually have something to say, but I'm afraid it's heretical. Or I don't have anything to say here, so maybe it's not a real tool. I don't know. saved the day and said, You have to fear Hashem, et, meaning those who are close to ha Baruch you have to fear them too. What that means, complex thing. Point th- that that this bright is brought to bring out is it's, it's brought to bring out that the word et is subject to dispute, and therefore up here we say that chizkia, um may have gotten the prohibition of um, of eating of getting benefit from the from the pelt from. Uh, sorry, Chizkiya got the the prohibition of benefit from the pelt from uh, Bala Shonaki. The other people who got Bala Shonaki, who got it from somewhere else. Got it from Eptesaro. So will turn around and say Eptesaro doesn't bother me. I'm not an Et fan, and therefore that, that, that doesn't move me at all. Okay, well we're uh, um, again. I'm tempted to say to you guys, you guys want to continue, uh, we could do it one more week if you want to, but at some point I, I do want to move ahead. There's still some very interesting material here. they will take us through some interesting corners of shots. What do you want to do?
1: Finish <laughs> so keep, go, keep, go, go, keep
0: going, because we'll never get a chance to do it again, like in this in this step. Okay. All right. Uh, so email me if you feel differently, but otherwise, we'll do one more on this, but one more, that's it. And then we're going to actually move to the fourth paraclop, Okay. Now, I want to talk, as I said, as I promised, it's 420. I want to talk conceptually what this is about. What does it mean when the Torah prohibits eating something? Because that's what the bottom line here is. The Torah said, "Don't eat it." And question is, what does that mean? Rabbi Avahu's take is, you can't get benefit. And Chizkiya's take is, you can get benefit. And each one of them says, we agree that if the Torah explicitly says you may not get benefit, you can't. If the Torah explicitly says you may get benefit, you may. And our dis- disagreement is in the default case. So what are they really disagreeing about? They disagree about the default case. So what are they disagreeing about?
1: Whether there is a default at all. Is there a default?
0: Well, they both seem to agree that there's a default Chizkiah feels the default is you're allowed to get Hanah unless the Torah says yeh Achel or something weird and you can't. is clear, he says, the default is you may not get Hanah unless the Torah says you may, like a nivela. So why do they read the default in opposite directions? Oh.
1: They're there
0: exceptions. Say again?
1: They're... They differ oh, because of their exceptions to the default.
0: Okay, good. So if those are the exceptions to the default. Why is the default? What the default is? I'm with you. Why is why why would I think that the default is that when the Torah says don't eat something, you cannot get hanah, and you think that when the Torah says you can't eat something, you may get hanah? And then, of course, if the Torah is explicit one way or the other, then that's gonna. gonna be- <laughs>
1: Perhaps a basic question is Hana included within eating? Say it again, Sherwin. Say it again. There was shit to, to eat. Yeah. Is to have anah. It's one and the same. Ooh, I mean, very good. Okay. So let's start with what
0: Sherwin says, which I think is a great way to start this discussion. Question is when the Torah, let me take it the opposite of what you're saying. When the Torah prohibits eating, what's it prohibiting?
1: Enjoyment. Nutrition. Okay. So is if the Torah is
0: prohibiting basically enjoyment. In other words, you're not allowed to get pleasure from this thing, physical pleasure from this thing. Right? So that means all hannah is off. All physical pleasure is off. Um and the and the way the Torah is expressing it is by taking the most common and core pleasure that exists, which is eating. So Chazir. More than anything else, it's a question of eating. So the Torah says, don't eat. But of course, it means don't get benefit. Right? That would be one way to look at it. Which means then, what happens in the case of an avela See, you've always got to account for whatever your theory is. How, why are the exceptions the way they are? Why is it an exception? Uh, so it was, the Torah. it was yeah.
1: Because it was killed improperly.
0: Okay. So why are you allowed to get benefit? In other words, let's let's take that position, which I, I like. I like Sherwin's position, that according to <coughs> to according to Rabbi Vau, when the Torah says don't eat something, what the Torah is really saying is don't get pleasure from it, right? And therefore, you can't get any honor, unless the Torah goes out of its way to say you may. So according to that position, why did the Torah permit Hana in anavela?
1: Wasn't killed properly.
0: Right. So why are you allowed to get Hana? Not allowed to eat it. Um, well, the only benefit you would get is, I guess, if you gave it to the dogs, you could right? sell it to a Jew to a non-Jew. You could sell it to a goat. To, a, to a, remember we saw, we had that. Yeah. You could sell it around, make some money. So it seems that in that position, Rabbi Avoh's position, a navela is a special circumstance for some reason, because the Torah is only forbidding you from eating it. Think about what a navela is. A nevela is an animal that is the proper type of animal, it's the proper simanim, right? It chooses its, choose its cud and all that stuff, and it and it and it died without shchitah. You could say, oh, there the Torah really permits you to get pleasure from it, and the only thing it bans you from is eating it, right, for some reason. Again, we don't know the reason. I I think that Chizkiyahu's fallback position is the easier one, which is when the Torah says don't eat it, it means don't eat it. And you could do anything else. The Torah is prohibiting you from ingesting it. But let's think now on a more global scale about what this is about. When the Torah point was, everybody in the world knows Jews can't eat pig. Everybody in the world knows Jews can't eat meat and milk, right? These are things that, you know, going on the street knows. Okay, so what is what 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 is our relationship supposed to be to those things? It's that they can be part of my environment, part of my life. I wheel and deal, but I just can't put it in my mouth. Or they really remove my environment. You see the difference? So if I say they're removed from my environment, that means that what the Torah is prohibiting is my connection to these things in any form of Hana. And eating is the, is the core example. I can't get Hana. So the Torah says, Oh, in the case of Nevela, you could. And now let's think about the ones where where so far, we know there are exceptions. Nevela, I know you could. Why Dom? So think about it. Dom is coming from a kosher animal. Avram is coming from a kosher animal. In other words, all of these things are coming from animals that are supposed to be in my environment. Right? So maybe that's part of what's going on. Maybe what's happening is they're saying things that the Torah prohibited, according to Rabbi Avahu, by saying lo tochal, is the Torah is saying, these are things that should not be part of my environment. Right? And therefore, um, and therefore, lo is an example, and I can't get any ano. And um, Erich is saying, no, these are things the Torah just said, don't ingest, because the Torah
1: doesn't want you to eat them. There's something wrong with eating them. So, so you're, maybe you're asking the basic question of if, if God allows you to do something, mm-hmm. um, how far could you go? Is there a limit to how far you can go to enjoy, to have something and enjoy something? Or in the negative, if you're prohibited, if prohibited uh, uh, to a certain point and beyond that you can go because then it gets outside of your environment
0: okay good i'm going to leave you guys with a with a, uh, a puzzle okay i want to see what you think next week <clears throat> there's something that i at first it was about 40 years ago i was at somebody's house for shabbat dinner it was about, about a festive weekend and i was there with 30 people at the table i raised this question at the beginning of the meal but i spent the whole meal going back and forth on it and at the end of the meal it was 15 15 okay so i'm gonna present it to you i want to hear what you think all right don't answer yet take the time to think all right um, for naftali you have to trust me on the geography here uh th- there is there's a guy who uh who goes every um every week uh wednesday morning he goes out to breakersfield as a mashkiach at a uh, at a, uh, a dairy plant there's a mashkiach there and every Wednesday morning, he leaves at 4 a.m. And he drives and he goes over the, the 405, right? He goes over the grapevine. And at the end of the grapevine, he stops in at a uh, at a small cafe to get a cup of coffee. Just a cup of coffee. That's all he can have. And he sees that the place is basically a coffee and donut shop. And he sees tons of people coming in by then at 6 a.m., coming in for their coffee and donuts. And he somehow gets a sense... And he hears them talking that actually a lot of these people are Jewish people who live in the area. They're not religious. They live in the area. And they come in there for coffee and donuts. So one day he sticks around a little late and he talks to the, pulls the owner aside and he introduces himself. And he says, listen, I can show you, if all you make in there is donuts, I can show you how you can make donuts that are just as good, kosher, under supervision, and uh, won't cost you a dime. I'll do it for free as a kindness, and and I'll put my name on it, and my my just so these people can eat kosher donuts. And the guy says, Rabbi, that's very nice of you. I'd be very happy to have you do it, but you have to know that we have a lot of young anti-Semites in this area, a lot of white Aryan guys, and I can't publicize anything like that around here. They destroy the place. So if you want to go out and make a kosher, you can, but you can't tell a soul. Now the rabbi himself is celiac, so he can't eat donuts. So the rabbi, if he were to do it, would kosher the place. All the donuts would now be used with oils that are not animal fat. And the place would be kosher, and all the all the donuts would be kosher. And nobody but the rabbi would know that they're kosher. He couldn't tell anybody and he couldn't eat them. Is there any value to the rabbi koshering the place? Let's stay together next week and see what you think. And uh, in the meantime, we'll finish the sugya next week. Yeah. Okay. Is
1: there a difference between the word